Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Business Growth Advantage. Uh, you know, one of my favorite things about having this show is bringing on guests, other types of business experts that are just such rock stars in their area of expertise. And this is is no exception. So today I am just so honored and thrilled to have Stephanie Real with me of The Real Deal, who uh, is a absolute branding expert. And uh, for the most part today, I really want to make sure that I'm passing the mic to her, but Stephanie has been generous enough to say, no, let's talk about how we can combine this topic of trademarks and branding in terms of the, the science and, and IP behind what a brand means. So Stephanie, first of all, thank you for being here. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I know this is going to be a very value-packed 30, 45 minutes, but let's, let's start by just filling everybody in on your entrepreneur journey because yeah. I, I had to read that sentence twice when I read that you started at age 22. That's crazy. I sure did. I hadn't graduated college yet. And, you know, thinking about it now, I really had no idea, no, no concept of what I was doing at 22 years old, but I went for it. I was fearless. That's awesome. um, but yes, I started my first business at 22 years old. Um, this was before side hustle was actually like a term that people mm -hmm. knew. So my friends thought I was crazy. I was working nights and weekends on my own yeah. business, leveraging that to get my first full-time big kid job out of college. Um, because in school I studied journalism, studied business, and I actually studied musical theater for a while too. Um, but that's a different story for a okay. different time, but I loved the creativity. I loved storytelling. Um, but I also loved data and analytics and really understanding consumer behavior mm. um, and psychology a little bit too. But it wasn't until I was in a marketing class in my senior year that it all clicked. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I need to be doing. And I had done at that point, I think nine journalism internships, a little bit of an overachiever. <laughs> um, but I had no traditional marketing experience other than helping a family business with a little bit of like a holiday campaign each year. Sure. Um, but so my solution to that was to start a business. And so I set up my LLC using $100 of my money from my college job at the time and uh, really worked in that business for, gosh, 13 years total, like 12, 12 and a half, 13 years total. But the first nine years was side hustle. Um, I was working that, building up clients on the side. I got my first client on Craigslist of all places. Really? Um, that doesn't age me. I don't know what does. Um, but it's, it's wild to look back because when I first started, I just knew I wanted to do all things marketing. I always learned more by doing, had a lot of value from internships I was in. And so I was like, well, yeah, I'll start a business. I'll figure it out as I go. Um, but it, what turned into, or started as freelancing turned into, I was running a full service marketing agency, helping small businesses across the country. Um, we had a team of eight that were mm -hmm. also all over the country. Um, and, and really just making all the marketing things happen, whether that was websites and branding, social media, Facebook ads, you name it. Um, but with that, I, I never intended to set out and run an agency. Mm. Um, I, you know, and so, and I think I had worked in agencies before and it wasn't as fulfilling. It was great. The creativity was fun, but definitely a, a lifestyle of burnout if you're not careful. And so I, I did kind of burn myself out. And it's important to share that because I, I transitioned then and really pulled back the layers of what really lights me up. And that's truly 
branding and brand strategy and or rebranding if a business has been in, in the marketplace for a while and maybe they're not reaching their ideal customer. And we can look at data and get that validation of, you know, who are you actually reaching? What's actually going on versus who do we want to be reaching or who's that ideal customer? And then filling the gap in between of where, where the missing pieces are. And so um, that's a, the quickest I think I've ever given that summary of 13 years, but um, it's been a roller coaster and a journey and I love it. Oh, that's awesome. One one thing that I picked up from that story and from what we talked about before we went live was just the, the shift in your emphasis from marketing to branding. Can you explain yes. that a little bit more? Oh my gosh. Yes. I think this is a common misconception. And I know in thinking about 14 years of doing this, I, people come and they say, I need marketing. And you're like, well, what is, what exactly mm -hmm. do you need or think you need? Cause it's a really big term. It mean, can mean a lot of different things, but I always think of branding as that underlying foundation for the business. It's, mm -hmm. it's woven into all your marketing efforts, but it really is that undercurrent. It is a lot of times subliminal. It's in the words we choose, the colors and fonts that are being used for the business, the logo, a lot of, I like to think about it as like when you first meet someone or say the audience who's watching this video today and you see me, I'm wearing hot pink, that's intentional. Mm. Um, but it's that first impression. And a lot of times, even if we might say we're not judgmental, we are judging someone when we meet them, whether it's a friend, a new relationship, yeah. um, a potential business partner at a networking event, well, whoever it might be, our brains, we're human. That's just what we do. We're sizing up, taking in that, subliminal information and that's what a brand is too it really helps us mm -hmm. get the pulse and the vibe of a business before yeah. we even take that next step to get to know anything more about the services or products they offer um, or how how they do business we're already getting that first impression and so the branding really is that foundation for all your marketing and it should be woven mm -hmm. into everything okay and i love this if we put aside people who just aren't prioritizing branding what do you see as the biggest mistakes business owners are making when it comes to working on their brand? I think the biggest thing, first thing that popped into my mind, consistency. You know, I, I had the pleasure of working for a corporate entity that had franchises, my very first job out of college. And um, I was known as the brand police or I quickly became the brand police because our brand colors were blue and orange. And there were some markets that were trying to use red to talk about the business. And mm. I always say confused customers don't convert. So if we're not consistent in the words we choose, the colors we're using, even your fonts, you can really confuse your customer. And if somebody comes to the page, maybe they found you on social media, then they come to your website or a landing page about your business and the colors are totally different. Mm. They're going to be afraid that they're not in the right place and they're probably going to jump off and go somewhere else or get distracted by a notification on their phone and never remember your business again. So it's point. really that consistency and yeah. science backs it up too. I'm by no means a scientist, but when I was in school, they used to say that it would take seven interactions with the business before a customer mm. could actually remember your brand name or remember any identifying piece about you. I was also in a sorority in college and in recruitment, we had to say the organization's name at least three times in a conversation so that they would remember us. It's like yeah. a thing. But what that means for marketing is, and all the ways that you show up, we have to have that consistency and you have to show up a lot of times. With how noisy the world is, I'm based in Arizona. 
Um, we have advertising at the gas station. Like when you're pumping mm, your gas, yep. you're getting fed marketing messages. And I know that that's consistent in a lot of different communities all around the globe these yeah. days. But with that and with it being so noisy, it means we have to be even more consistent and show up even more times. Recent data shows 21 instances. Somebody has to see your brand name to take an action to know mm. who you are, to even have that planted in your mind because of how inundated we are all the time. So to bring it back to that consistency and why it's so important, if we're not consistent, they might think you're a different business. They might see your colors that are close to a competitor's colors and then go to Google it, see an, an, a search result pop up, and they're going to go talk to your, your competitor and not you, even though they've maybe seen your brand five times already. So we yeah. really have to be consistent and consistently show up and set the example that we want for the brand mm. in the words we're using in those different pieces too. It's almost like a human and a friendship. You got to be. Yeah, I, I love that. It, well, and we've already started now diving into like the title of this yeah. episode of the science yeah. behind branding. And I, I love the focus on consistency there. I'm curious, and we didn't talk about this before uh, I hit the live button, just knowing that it can, you're, you're fighting so much to just get those little attention touch points. Yeah. Are, are you seeing more and more brands that traditionally aren't really thought of as personal brands shifting to kind of either make the company more of a personal brand or have certain faces on the, with the company elevated and doing more marketing on their personal channels? I love this question. I think regardless of who you are or where you've, how long you've been in business, you have, we all have a personal brand. That's just the reality. If you have a social yeah. media channel of any sort, you have a brand. I, some of my friends and colleagues, people I don't, I've met at an event once literally will DM me hot pink things because of, I consistently wear hot pink and it makes people think of me. Yeah. Um, that's also one of my brand colors and magenta, the science behind it is intentional. But, um, but it's, I think we all have a personal brand. So I want to say that first and foremost, if you think you're a business owner and you're hiding behind your brand, you still have a personal brand too, even if you're not actively mm. using it. I would say it's a widely debated school of thought, whether you need to be using humans versus letting the brand, you know, if you have a product-based business, maybe it's not the humans. Mm. But I think when we talk about branding and the thing that really shows the heart of a business a lot of times it is the founder's story of why you started to begin with. Yeah. I know that's what gets me so excited to work with a new business is to know like why it's so important to them to start to open this coffee shop or to launch this luxury skincare business or whatever in between it might be. Um, that's what gets us as consumers hooked and wants us to buy and believe in because we can see that humanity. And so I think there's a way to show that humanity and connect, even if it's not attached to maybe a, a person's name, maybe yeah. it's connected to the business, but one of my favorite brands is one of my good friends. It's her company. And she has a very personal story about why she started it. Mm -hmm. um, it's a clean, non-toxic fragrance company. And she started it because um, while her and her husband had a, a very difficult journey for trying to conceive and, and ultimately weren't able to be parents, mm. she was pregnant at one time and found out she couldn't wear any perfumes because of how toxic the ingredients were for an expecting mother. And wow. so it's through that pain of loss because they, she, she ended up losing the baby, unfortunately, and, um, and then found out she wasn't going to be able to have children 
So she birthed this business instead. And it's like, when I first met her, she was afraid to share that story in public. Yeah. And I said, I said, you have to share that story. You have to tell people about why Kayla Gray exists. And now she has shown, and it's an immediate heart connection. So many people, regardless of their gender, regardless of their age, can connect to that or connect to maybe that feeling of loss. And so I think regardless of if you have a human face to it, you have to have that connection and that why, which does make it personal because all business is personal. We don't do business with brands that we don't have a connection to or somebody we don't know, like, and trust. And so um, I hope that answers the question. But yeah, yeah, it does. We have to have that personal connection. Mm, Man, I... I love that so much because it just, it reminds me of something that I think something that indie law could get a lot louder about is the fact that I had a business induced panic attack. And when I started helping other business owners with, trademarks i was hearing all of these stories and i i don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of like what's technically a panic attack and what isn't but people would say like i i got this cease and desist letter and i had a panic attack and and that really became a mission of my team and i to you know we we want to do everything that we can to prevent that from happening to business owners and also to to be there for people who do have those scary moments oh yeah Well, and that's how to make a really maybe not sexy or not maybe, you know, ever having to hire a lawyer or go through that process is never, it doesn't feel warm and inviting. You kind of just immediately think, oh my gosh, this is going to cost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But if you can show that human side, how amazing, because we've all, I mean, even just you sharing that story, I had a business induced panic attack in 2019 Mm. and um, and there's so many times where when I wasn't taking care of myself or I didn't have the right protections in place, you know, especially starting a business at 22, there were so many lessons I learned over that time, the hard way, because I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. And to know that you have a trusted advisor or a team that's going to be able to help you and um, make sure your legal P's and Q's are in order, that's a huge relief that can really lessen that anxiety. And what a beautiful way to share it. So mm-hmm. I agree. You should be sharing that too. Well, thank you. I mean, this is a valuable episode, at least for me. So, so <laughs> let's let's continue down this this outline of just things to consider around the science of branding. We've talked about consistency. You mentioned color several times. Do you want to speak yeah. any more to that? I would love to. I think the one of the biggest pitfalls I see a new business owner make or fall into when they are starting a brand is they pick their favorite colors as the brand colors. Mm. And I, as much as all you entrepreneurs listening, I love you and I love your favorite color. (laughs) It might not be your target audience's Mm. true color that's going to connect with them. And when we take it a level deeper than just the surface level, there is this cool science. It's like the closest I ever get to like being a doctor is like diagnosing the colors. Um, But because our brains and I'm really into neuroscience in like my personal life and I'm just, it's fascinating to me. But I use it so much every day in in my professional life because there is a subliminal connection trigger almost that our brain, our brain interprets things before we even like read a sign or read the words, we're going to see the colors and it's going to notion to our brain, oh, 
that's safe. That's trustworthy. That's, that's vivacious or creative. Um, that's, you know, that's dangerous. Don't, don't go there. Mm. Um, and so I think what I often find for business owners is when they do pick their favorite color and we don't have any strategy or intention behind it, they might not be their ideal customer. And it also might not be a color that really conveys what the business does. And so mm. then years down the road, they have to change their colors and completely rebrand because they didn't build it with intention to start. And so um, like a color like blue, I'm sure you can think of a couple of businesses that use blue, maybe um, Facebook, Venmo, PayPal, Visa. I, and blue is a very common color to be used. It's generally a neutral color for most brains. So like people don't have mm. like a strong, like, or visual reaction to it, yeah. but um, but it also is indicative of trust and security yeah. and comfort. And so you see a lot of big tech banks, financial institutions um, using it so that you feel like you can trust them yeah. before you even open up an account or set up your new credit card or whatever it might be. So I always like to call that one out because blue pops up a lot. And it's a oh. very common used brand color too because of what that trust Everyone wants their business to feel trustworthy, maybe even if you shouldn't trust them. But right. um, <laughs> but the the science behind that commands that. Whereas, you know, um, like a green, that's health, vitality, um, a lot of times wellness, whole foods, um, mm. you know, other brands that are maybe more natural or have a health focus. It can also be like a richness. A lot of times our brains mm. equate green with money too, which is a very simple way to say that, but, yeah. um, but it can be a wealth. So that could be like wealth as in a wealth investment firm where you want to build your wealth, or it could be your health is your wealth and maybe it's a health food company. So those are a couple, I mean, I could go through the whole color palette. My gosh. I don't want to take up. There, there's a, time. there's a part yeah. of me that wants you to, but I, I will ask you um, just cause I've, I've heard of some business owners, uh, who, when they pick their brand colors, they spend a good chunk of time just looking at the market, seeing what the common colors are, and then yeah. trying to pick something that makes sense that's just different. How how much of picking a color that's different is a part of your like brand calculation? This might shock some people. It's a little controversial, but I yeah. actually don't. Even when I'm taking clients through our branding process, we don't look at competition mm. until the very end, actually. I mean, it's it's healthy to have that. it's healthy to have some goal. And I've I've been doing this for 14 years, so I have a pretty good feel yeah. for different industries. I've worked in a lot of industries intentionally to get that experience. Um, that I, I have a good gut feel for a lot of that or the industry or marketplace before we even start working. But I'm not necessarily as concerned about the competition. I also mm. believe that in my personal life too. Like it's a cheesy saying, but you're your own, you're the only you. Yeah. And I think your brand also, yes, we want to know those key differentiators of like, you know, if you're going to start a juice company and there's 10 other juice companies in your area, why, what, what makes you different? We got to right. know that special sauce, right. but we can focus on that special sauce and know what's authentic for the brand and then do a gut check and a check of the competition just to make sure mm. that we're not, 
completely copying things. So I always do that in the, in the beginning, but then yeah. really I, if we're too focused on the competition, we're just going to make a business that is an exact replica of another brand. And that's not authentic at all, which is yeah. another piece of branding that is so paramount and important is authenticity because when we're not authentic, our audience can see it. Mm -hmm. And so I think I have found if a business just mimics what they're seeing their competitors do, we lose that personal touch and it really does affect the kind of clients you're attracting, the, you know, how your sales are going. It, uh, it really runs the gamut because you're not being true to whatever made you start the business to begin with or whatever is that differentiation yeah. factor there too. Man, I, this is all, this is all so good. And I, I love your perspective on like really not paying attention to the competition until last, because I, 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 I can totally see your point where if that becomes a place that you are starting the process and conversation, then it becomes less about being authentic, like you said. Yeah. Yep. So we've, we've talked consistency, we've talked colors. Um, uh, I, I, I do want to get to fonts if you have any kind of golden nuggets there. Um, and then I'd also love to hear more about, you know, you talked about how so much of branding, especially done well, the way that you do it is also about the words that you use. Yes. And that's something that we are continuously circling back to, which is like, okay, what does, what does our, what does our brand voice mean? And how do we accurately put together some type of a, of a guide yeah. for the team just to make sure that it, it's a little bit more checks and balanced than, oh yeah, this sounds like Joey would say it. Yeah. Well, and I think it's so interesting you say that because I think as a founder, when you start the business, a lot of times it's just you. And yeah. so you know how you sound, you know, you have it, you want it a certain way. And then as you grow and you scale and you bring on team, it, the culture kind of changes or shifts. It's not just you. So yeah. it, it's, that having that consistency and that brand Bible or guidelines or whatever it might be can really help empower the team so that they understand. Um, but I think the messaging and voice sometimes is the, is it, it's, I'm really visual and depending on how your mm. brain is wired, it might, your, the words might be the first thing that you notice versus um, you know, the colors are speaking to us subconsciously, yes. whether you notice it right first thing or not. Um, I'm really visual, so and I love the colors, and that's part of what I do. So yeah. I notice them oftentimes first. But I think that second validation, almost like if you're meeting a new friend and you're like, or a new, a new romantic partner, and you're like, oh man, they said this, but they're actually doing this, it becomes a red flag. Mm. That's what the words are a lot of times for the brand because they see the colors, they see the initial logo or the presentation of things, and then they'll come to a landing page or get an email, subscribe to an email and get an email from you and your business and something's off. And it kind of, the, a brand is just an ongoing tool to help your customers know, like, and trust you. And so mm -hmm. if we don't have that dialed in and that consistency, it can start to really make the audience question if you are, if your brand is who it says it is, yeah. Um, you know, if they can really trust you, if they want to do business with you, which can be really detrimental. And so, um, for fonts, that's subliminal too, just like colors. Um, I won't go too much down the font rabbit hole cause I could talk about it for hours, but there are 
some fonts that have a more modern feel. Um, and this actually goes back to like the 1400s when, mm. you know, writing, hand, hand, handwriting script fonts versus um, there's these things called serifs, which are the little flags that are on certain mm. typecases, um, which if I'm getting a little too nerdy for you, um, I do have a course that goes through all of nice. this. Um, and it's like such a nerdy nerd out moment for I the brand marketer of me. But, um, but typically speaking, the more modern fonts that you're seeing and you're seeing a lot of brands that are rebranding and have maybe changed things recently. I know maybe one that people might um, be familiar with is Kia, the car company. They recently changed their, their logo and branding, but their font is way more modern. It has no little flags on the end. The lines are very mm -hmm. clean and simple for the letters. That's very much kind of gives a more modern feel versus if you wanted to give more of a traditional kind of um, maybe kind of a historical connection, you'd probably want to use a font that had a serif, the little flags on it. Um, Deco fonts, which are like Disney and Coachella, uh, those work very slimmingly. I wouldn't say uh, you want to be running into using those for any just kind of everyday business yeah. um, because they can be very abrasive and they have a very big personality of their own. But you do see a lot of movies and entertainment companies or festivals, things like that, using those kind of fonts. Um, but it's, it's definitely very similar to how the brain intercepts color, where if somebody sees that font and it doesn't have the little serif marks on it, the little ticks on the end, um, I'm literally drawing these little feathers like I'm writing yeah. a letter. Um, but if it doesn't have that, our brains already feel like it's a little bit more crisp. It's a little bit more mm. modern or new age versus yeah. if you saw something that had a traditional serif font, you'd probably think that it might have, might be a business that's been around for a really long time yeah. um, or, um, or maybe was a little bit outdated on the negative side of that too. Now, I... I know that you are already holding back going deeper into this, but I... I sure am. <laughs> um, one thing that we talked about uh, bef before we got started here was uh, just the, the difficulties potentially with having a team or even by yourself starting to imp trying to implement what your branding expert has given you in terms of that branding Bible or those guidelines. And... Uh, I'd, I'd love to talk about that in general, but specifically one thing that my team and I are realizing that we have to ask in a way that this never was a thought that of a question that I had in my mind was not only font choices, but like font alignment and when and where. And I, I'm, I was so excited to hear that you actually give your clients that Canva, Canva templates I'm curious, as you do all of that stuff, do you have, do you set pretty clear guidelines, even at the, you know, this type of a, of a post or on this type of a web page, the font should be left justified or centered? Is all of that uh, still very much by design or is there a, is there a point to this where you're kind of just letting your clients be like, you do whatever looks good? You know, I think it's actually a case-by-case -case basis, okay. depending on the client and what they need. Yeah. But generally speaking, for our branding clients, where we're helping them bring the business to life or helping them figure out how we're going to enter the marketplace, we, you know, the logo, colors, fonts, um, we'll give them a font and a brand guidelines deck that's going to have 
what their headlines and header font should be, what mm. their body font should be, and also support them and help them um, take the next steps for actually purchasing the licenses too, because just Amazing. because you're using the font um, does not mean that you legally have the right to use it. And I know Joey probably loves to hear me say that, but I, I, I know that there's other providers in the marketplace that just say, oh yeah, here you go. Or they give you a logo and it has this special font in it. And then you actually don't own it if you don't buy the font. So we walk our clients through that process. But one of the things that I found through doing this for more than a decade, almost a decade and a half is I often would find, and, and actually even thinking back to my early days working for that franchise where I was the brand police and the brand enforcer, um, it was really challenging to get people to know what the brand book even meant or like how they were supposed mm. to use it. And so through that and trying to be as helpful as possible, we do create a set of social, usually it's social media templates that have the fonts already imported, have the colors or customized, but there's something that they can be tweaked. So maybe it's a template for a blog post and what that's going to look like and then mm. showing them and informing them because I think that is the biggest problem. If your team doesn't know, you, if you're investing so much money on the branding side and then you don't let your team know that you even have the resources available, yes. they're going to go rogue and they're going to be using red when they should be using blue and it's going to be giving, it's going to keep me up at night. Yeah. But it's, that's, we have to communicate and we have to set that expectation yeah. And I think that's also where the brand voice comes in too, because where your brand voice is usually where it shows up the most. And this is the part, if you're an A-type control freak, it's going to be hard to hear this, but your team and how they're interacting, if they're that first line of communication with your audience, the way that they're speaking is going to reflect your brand, maybe even more so than your webpage or an yeah. email that you're receiving. So we have to make sure that that, culture, those values, um, that's really clear and that you have the right people in the right roles so that they can be stewards of that because your biggest, your biggest attractor for marketing, and this is one thing, and I've worked with a lot of different kinds of businesses over the years, and we would run into a lot of issues. We'd give them the brand guidelines. We'd get this amazing marketing plan. The digital marketing would be working, and maybe it was a service-based business or um, at one point I did a lot with like student housing development. So like mm. we would get the people in the door to sign up for the apartment and then they would have the sales meeting or go into the place and they would drop off. And so then we had to do sales training of mm. how to help the team speak to these people and hear their needs. Cause really at that point you want to be able to hear the audience and then speak from a place of, of alignment with the brand values, but be a human too. It can't yeah. be so robotic that it doesn't work it can't be so off base that it doesn't match your company mm. values, but that a lot of times comes together in your hiring too, and making sure you're hiring the right people, which that is way above my pay grade. No, um, but but that's such a, that's such yeah. a good point. That's such a good point. Stephanie, I could talk to you for like hours. I know we could talk all day. Yeah. Um, but let's, let's start to wrap up this great conversation uh, in another category that is really within your wheelhouse, which is naming the brands. Oh, it's like my favorite part. It's like, because you get to have this new business baby and you get to bring it to life. Um, and I think whenever I get to work with, and it's twofold, it's a brand new business that 
needs a new con, you know, needs the whole concept, needs the whole shebang, so to speak. Um, do people still say that? I'm aging myself. Yeah, yeah. But um, thank it. you. I appreciate that. I still say um, it. Or a rebrand where, you know, maybe, maybe you want to position your business to sell it and exit and it's yeah. named after you. Well, then we got to come up with a name that's going to create some distance so that you can actually, you know, accomplish that goal. And so we, we match it to the goals for the business. There's a yeah. very intensive discovery and data diving, deep dive process that we take our clients through during onboarding to make sure we're really clear on the business, the vision, the, uh, those goals for the future to make sure that when we are naming, it's going to be aligned. But then the other thing that we do, and by no means am I trying to take over Indie Law's amazing work, um, but I, it would keep me up at night if I created a new name for a business and it was already being used by somebody else yeah. or there was already a trademark active or live listing yeah. for it. I've seen it happen with clients who've worked with other providers and they don't check and they're like, oh, this is a great idea. And I'm like, yeah, it's so great. Somebody else already had it and already protected it. And so we, during that naming process, you know, come up with names, but then we also verify. So looking at the trademark database and, and really helping to set them, our clients up so that when they go to actually protect and own their brand by getting it trademarked, they're not going to be trying to do so with a, with a name that somebody else is already using and is already protected. And so yes. it really, it's, again, it's the intention behind it. We, you know, match that and make sure it meets, it meets the client's goals and really more than what, you know, what it serves the client, as we talked about before, with not picking your favorite color, what's it going to be for my client's ideal customer? How is it going to feel for them? Um, sometimes we do some mar market research or surveys for audience to, to get a feel for it. Mm. Um, but, but we have to make sure that the name is available um, because I always want to set my clients up for success and I don't want to name a business and then they have no way of actually owning their brand in the future. Right. So we can, oh. we consider that and include that in our process. I love that you do all of that. And I mean, the, the fact that you help with just the initial name search and, and seeing if it's available uh, is, is really music to my ears as a trademark attorney, because I know a lot of uh experts in your area that unfortunately don't do that. And then we have to have very hard conversations. Yeah, um, because you've invested five, yes. $10,000, maybe even more depending on the firm. And, and then you've invested all that money. And then to have the conversation, oh, which your team has to deliver saying, oh, yeah, we can't actually pursue this for X, Y, and Z reason. Oh, it's such, it's such a disadvantage. And it, it bothers me. I always like to treat my clients the way that I'd want somebody to treat my business and kind of living by the golden rule in that way. And, and so it's just something that I feel is the right thing to do. And so we include that uh, in all of our packages. I love yeah. that. One thing that we really encourage brands to consider, especially if they're more established and have the, the budget and the timeline to do so is to get multiple trademark filings going under an intent to use basis uh, so that even before they launch the new brand, we can get some trademark filings going. And the the truth is, even if you do a really exhaustive trademark search, when you apply for a trademark, it's almost like you're auditioning to the government yeah. that you can use that name. And mm -hmm. 
and so we're, we're finding the, 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 the kind of like the, the clients that we just want to give the A and the apples to are the ones who were like, no, we we're thinking about this ahead of time. We don't want to be too emotionally attached to something before we get this. So let's very proactively be filing for these names that we want to use before we even launch them. Yeah. And I think anytime we can be proactive is just so important from the branding side. And that might be out of reach maybe for a smaller business client or um, someone like that. But I think even I work a lot with small businesses and even just doing a little bit of that legwork by no means is it legal advice. I, I, you know, encourage them to speak to, to you and your team and, or to, you know, to their, their attorney of choice. Um, But at least it sets them up that they're not going to then have to reinvest in branding, which I know is a huge expense and huge, huge investment. Right. Um, if done right. And so at least they're going to have those bones where they could maybe work on the trademark later too. So it's, yeah. I think it's, it's just the right way to approach it because I can't tell you how many times you try to do it after the fact and it's, it's risky. Absolutely. Well, I, I love that we're aligned on that. Everybody. I mean, Stephanie is like you're seeing such a, a value dropper when it comes to, to branding and marketing in general. Stephanie, if people want to learn more, what's a, a really good resource next step for them to go to, to learn more about you, your agency and next steps that they can take? Yeah, it's probably easiest to just go to stephaniereal.com. You can link out to everything there. Um, I have, I know I talked a lot about colors and fonts. If your head is spinning, I have a DIY course that gives you access to all of that. And it goes into serif fonts and deco fonts and handwriting and script and all the things, um, as well as a lot of the different colors. So you can be more intentional about your branding without having to hire me um, or our team. We would love to work with you as well, but I understand that that investment isn't as accessible to all businesses. Um, and so it can be a, at least a really great resource and guide and stephaniereal.com will get you all the information to go and find any of those or to find out more about our branding services too. Awesome. Fantastic. And before I let you go, Stephanie, um, I know that you are particularly passionate about getting the word out about this little thing called Pinterest Oh my gosh! Yes. And, and your perspective <laughs> on it. Um, yeah. Do you happen to have a, a resource or a link that we could share where people could dive into and, and see what you see in terms of the value there? Absolutely. Yeah, I have a freebie um, that goes through the common pitfalls for Pinterest. So I will get you that so you can link oh, that. Oh, fantastic. Um, because I I think it is such an underutilized source. I know we were talking a little bit before we went live, um, but it's so much more like Google than it is like social media. Some of mm. our clients and even our best performing content is from three to five years ago, and it's still driving real website traffic, real leads. So you can post it once and truly leave it. You don't have to keep up with the six seconds on Twitter or the uh, three, the six minutes on Instagram um, and that kind of lifespan of the posts, it's going to yeah. live a lot longer for you. And I just think anybody that has a link for their business can be using Pinterest to help drive more traffic and get more visibility for their brand. So we'll get you that that's, information that's so that people can find out about it. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much, Stephanie. Thanks to everybody for tuning in live on the replay on the podcast. And we'll, we'll catch you next time on the, the business growth advantage. Thank Bye, you again everyone. so much. Of course.